when we think about the history of, of Christians, the only way a believer can bear the weight of this sin-cursed world, this broken world, really is by looking forward to the world which is to come. So I think, now when you say that, some people say, oh, you're just uh, hiding in the, you know, the, the sweet by and by, or you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good, and so forth. And yet, let's think about this. The only way that Christians through the centuries have maintained their faithful walk and witness in a world that hates them and persecutes them, arrests them and kills them and so forth, is because of a hope that goes beyond this life. A hope of a world that is yet to come that we can't even fathom. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 19 said. We saw this last week. Paul said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are, of all people, most to be pitied. So, again, if we're thinking about this life only, and we're trusting Jesus for what he does for us in this life only, and we're only wanting to serve him in this life only, our good deeds of feeding the poor and clothing the, the naked and uh, or, uh, you know, helping uh, the, the world become a, quote, better place, if that's all we do and then that's it, it's, it's vanity in a sense. The main thing that we as believers know is coming is the eschatological fulfillment of the new heavens and the new earth. And so that is the hope that drives us. It's outside of this life. Yes, we trust Christ in this life. Yes, we're grateful for all that the Lord gives us in the way of strength. As we prayed tonight, many of you prayed this for peace, for faith. To keep going one more day, right? To just keep trusting, to just keep believing. That's all from God. And so he gives us that in Christ right now. And our hope is in Christ right now. But it goes beyond this life. It's eternal. We, this, this, is, this is where we should be looking. And so tonight, Paul, in verses 35 through 49, he answers the skeptics and begins to, to, to give us a hint, right, of what our bodies will be like after the resurrection. And that's kind of a, a question that I'm sure we've all had, right? I mean, we believe in the resurrection, right? We're not, we're not Sadducees, right? You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in miracles. The Sadducee party did not. And that's why they were sad, you see. You've all heard this. Everybody's looking at me. They knew I was going. But we do believe in a resurrection. That's what Paul said last week. He said, hey, if, if, if only in this life we're trusting in Christ, we're most to be pitied. If it's only for now, we're, we're most to be pitied. But Christ has risen, Paul said. Christ has risen from the dead. So we know, we believe, we believe that by the faith that God has given us. There's something in our beings that long for heaven that know that this world is not our home. And so let's notice what Paul says to the skeptics here. Verse 35, he's, he's, you can tell he's somewhat uh, perturbed about some things. Some of these guys are always questioning him there in Corinth. And look what he begins to say in verse 35. But someone will ask. So he's, he knows this, this is coming. So he uses a hypothetical skeptic here. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So he says, I'm glad you asked that. Let's look at this. Verse 36, he says, you foolish person. And this is pretty strong language, the word fool there. It implies all through the, the, the scriptures. As we look at the, the Old Testament in the, in, in the Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It really applies to those who would deny the existence of, of God, a fool. It's strong language. And especially Paul uses that here, I think, because 
he has been talking about how these Corinthian believers, there's many there that believe they're very wise in their own conceit. <laughs> they're very wise and they're correcting people all the time. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you're really fools. You're foolish. You're so smart in your earthly wisdom that you're really of no heavenly value anymore. You're foolish. So you foolish people. What, and, and now he's going to go into the explanation. Here's how resurrection is proven even in nature. The, the very nature, the way that God created this world, and the way that things happen in agricultural, show us that resurrection, it, resurrection is not just possible. It happens all the time. He says, what you sow does not uh, come to life unless it dies. And, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat, or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So this is a glorious representation of what happens when a farmer plants a seed. So Paul takes them there. He says, guys, I'm going to just use a very simple analogy that we all know. When you plant a seed, what happens? It has to die before there's this new life that springs forth. And the life and the thing that springs forth is different from the thing that was put into the ground. It's connected to it, yes. It's of the essence, yes. But it's something new. And I like what verse 38 emphasizes. It emphasizes God's sovereignty and his creativity in this thing of resurrection, if you will. It says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of, it, of seed, its own body. And so there's this, even in, obviously, creation, just as in creation, we see the, the diversity of God and, and his creativity, how he makes people of their seed, by the way, is what he's saying here. Like, if you plant, by the way, an apple seed, it's not going to spring forth a, a, a grapevine, right? You're going to get an apple tree, right? If you plant a, uh, I started to say plant a banana, I guess bananas are trees, aren't they? Is there a banana tree? Yeah, plant a banana, get a banana tree. I don't know. I'm just saying it comes by kind, God has given that kind. So, so, but even within the kind, there's diversity. We'll talk here in a moment about the human kind and about animals and about fish. And, and he talks about the bodies in heaven and the earthly bodies and things like that. But there's diversity even among those things because God is creative, right? He's a God of diversity. And so he chooses how things are, are raised out of the ground. He chooses what that plant looks like and how it grows he chooses how the flowers in the, in the wild begin to put on their colors. God does that. He paints them because he's the sovereign one. But then he goes on in verse 39 and begins to, to kind of expand on God's diversity and his creativity and, and his sovereignty in verses 39 through 41. Notice this. He says, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. We notice a descending order there of the types of flesh, starting with the crown of God's creation as far as the, the humankind, right? Man made in the image of God, but then other types of flesh on the earth, the, the animals, the birds, and the fish. And then he goes to the heavens. They, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Now, what is he saying here? Another descending order, by the way. 
when he talks about the heavenly bodies, he's talking about the sun, which is the brightest, the moon, which is lesser, the stars, you see it goes to that. But he's saying here that there's glory. Their glories are different from one another. And yet they all have a glory, right? They all have this, this glory that is this, this splendor in, in, in them. So, so you say, what, is all this, what in the world is all this having to do with resurrection? Because it's showing the sovereignty of God in, in creation first. And for us, think about this. The fact that God, ex nihilo, created all of this, the, the heavenly bodies, the earthly bodies, the differences within humans and fish and everything else, and the differences in the stars. And when you think about those stars, the cosmos are endless, right? The universe and universes. And what it's saying here is that God created all that. It, with diversity. And all of it has glory because God created it. But here's my point. That same power, the power to create and sustain, obviously Paul says there, the resurrection thing is not an issue. God does what he wants and creates how he wants and even recreates. So if something dies, goes to the ground, he recreates out of that according to his purposes and plans. So basically, Paul's saying, does not nature, and even the way the cosmos works, show us that there's this, this life-giving power from God that he can do what he wants when he wants with all of the matter of the universe, whatever flesh you're talking about, whether it's the stars, the moon, the sun, a human being, a fish, a bird, whatever, God can do what he wants with them. Now, by the way, I'm not jumping into C.S. Lewis territory here, just saying that all the you know, dogs are all going to be in heaven and everything you know, like that. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying... I don't think that's where Paul's going <laughs> either. Look at this in verse 42 to 44. Now he continues to, to kind of narrow down and, and bring it back to a, the, the resurrection itself. He says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. So just as there is this life with the living and this diversity with the living and the glory that God has put into each of us, we were all made, John and I were talking earlier, just coming in, the fact that all of us have been made in the image of God. Period. There's glory there. Even before the resurrected body, we are already, already made, made in the image of God. But look at verse 42. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, so he's using that again, what is sown is perishable. And again, this idea of sowing, putting a, a, a seed into the ground is, is, you know, comparison to death. We die. We go to the funeral, we go to the graveside, and what happens? There's a, there's, a, there's a hole. And that body, that shell, that flesh, is buried in the ground. So that's sewn into the ground, right? That's, we understand that analogy, that, that picture. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Get this, these are four important points that Paul's making here, these contrasts. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
So this all sums up what Paul's been talking about, right? This brings it to that point. He's saying, look, there's all these bodies, right? Heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, all these things. And, and we see them in the natural world. And he's saying if there's a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. Now, this comparison, this, this, this versus thing is, is very important that we understand. The natural versus the spiritual here. Our bodies right now, this physical natural, we'll say, this, the, the natural. By the way, we've got to be careful here as we talk about spiritual versus natural. We're not talking about material versus immaterial, right? That's a Gnostic falsehood, the idea that when we rise again, we're going to be spirit people just floating around in some spirit form. That's, that, so be careful with that. And we're, Paul explains this here a little bit later, but... Natural simply means what Corinthians says, the natural man receives not the things of God. The carnal man, the, the, the man left to his own nature. Um, and in our natural sense of understanding and being led by our flesh, that part is perishable, right? This natural flesh is perishable. It's dishonorable. It's weak. And it's natural. And yet, the resurrection body is imperishable. It is glor glorious, it has splendor, it has power, and it is spiritual. And that word spiritual then, contrasted with natural, means if the natural man is, is, is man's nature, right? Trying to understand spiritual things, we can't, right? The natural man receives not the things of God because he cannot, because they are spiritually discerned, Paul says. So then what is the spiritual man? What does that mean that we're going to be spiritual, our resurrected body, something about that is going to be spiritual. What is that? It means to be fully filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit in a way that we cannot even comprehend now. It, super, it, just, it transcends anything we understand now about being totally empowered by the Holy Spirit in a body that is also natural and spirit. This is, okay, here we go. Let's, let's continue. Hang with me. I love what Paul begins to get into here now when he uses the last Adam and the first Adam as a contrast. I guess I should have said first Adam and then the last Adam. So it's the first Adam and the last Adam. But look at verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. By the way, it's contrast there. Do you not see it? The first Adam was given life, had to be given life, he was created. The second Adam gives life. He's God in human flesh, but he's God. And so, so he goes on to now compare this. He says, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Now let's back up again and see what we're seeing here. So we're seeing the natural man, is that, that's all of us, right? We're all born human beings from the dust of the earth, from our father Adam, the, the first man, the first Adam. And so that's a natural, that's what it means to be natural, right? We're just of this world. So, so we're born a natural birth, but then we've got this second thing happening, right? Again, the, the other analogy here is this idea of second birth, right? If you're born one time as a human being, 
you're going to die twice. You're going to die a physical death and a spiritual death if you're only born once. But if you've been born twice, meaning you're born in the flesh, but then by the grace of God through the preaching of the gospel, you're born again by the Spirit and the Word. Now you only die once because of, because of the, the grace of God through Christ and in the resurrection. Anyway, look at this. Look at this, this conclusion that we're drawing to here. Here's the main, I love this part because verses 45 and 49, Paul really brings it together with the, 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 the Adam, Adam, you know, the natural man, and then Christ, the second Adam. He says this, as was the man of dust, in the middle of the verse again, as, as, as was the man of dust, so also, also are those who are of the dust. So we are that. We are natural beings who die just like Adam. And as is the man of heaven, that's Jesus, obviously. Now look at this. So also are those who are of heaven. Now here it is. Here's the, the conclusion. Just as we have been born the image, born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So there's the hope of the resurrection that Paul's talking about here. This is what he's saying. Now this is where it ties it together. We bear the image of the man of dust, Adam, that's, that's who we are in a natural. But just as we do that, we're also going to bear the image of the man of heaven. That's the resurrection hope. Now, what, is, what, what, what is that? Now, there's our hope right there. We, Paul says, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What's that going to be like? What does that mean? We're going to bear the image of the man of heaven. What will those bodies look like? What, what does that mean? Okay, so conclusion here in the next few minutes we'll just kind of apply that what what is what does this mean paul's saying that just as the seed is planted and it dies god has chosen to bring that body back and give them a body of his choosing so there's something creative here even about our resurrection body that god's going to give us some things that we don't even imagine yet we we can't understand what it's going to be exactly we, we just have glimpses in the bible and that's what paul's doing in this section here he's giving us these glimpses but he's guaranteeing, guaranteeing one thing. Just as we have some of the atom in us, that natural part that's there, but we're also going to have this heavenly, there is this mixing of those in the resurrected body. Again, it's not a Gnostic thing. We, this very body, this very body that goes into the ground, just like a seed, the very seed that goes into the ground, part of that seed comes back up in the flower, although it's different and transformed, they're still part of that original seed part of the flower so we are also going to have this essence of this body along with this heavenly body now what is that okay according to the biblical record of jesus glorified body we know that our spiritual body will be basically i said this earlier it's going to be more but not less than the body you have right now you say thanks a lot greg what a great answer our resurrected bodies will be more but not less than the bodies we have now. And again, I have to put that in there. That's, that's, that's important that we put that not less than because of the Gnostics, again, who say that, oh, we're just going to be floating around in detached forms of spiritism and, and whatever, just little spirits, little Caspers floating around. But that's not what the Bible says. So whatever we're going to be, it's not less than what we have right now, but it's going to be more, right? Now, now look at this. We see these 
glimpses all through the Bible. Philippians 3.20, this is, again, the transformation. There's a transformation of this body that takes place at the resurrection. So you've got verses like Philippians 3.20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That co coincides with everything Paul just said. Our lowly body goes into the ground, right? It's weak, and yet the body that raises again is powerful, right? This body is dishonorable, but the body that is raised is honorable. It's glorious in Christ. You see that? And why is that? It's because it's Christ. We're transformed by Christ. The power that enables him to subject all things to himself is the power that raises us and recreates us as glorified people. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know. And by the way, this is such a, I love 1 John with all of those phrases, but we know. But we know. Why is that important? Because Christianity, folks, is not based on my emotions. It's not based on what I feel. Because my feelings change. God in his sovereignty has given us his word through the Holy Spirit. He reveals it, and the Holy Spirit makes it effectual to our hearts. But it's what we know God promises us. That's when Satan, he lies to us. And our feelings can be like mush after a while because we're listening to everybody else. When we go to the word of God and we remind ourselves of his promises that never fail, we know some things. So again, it's what I know. That's what I stand upon. And so John says here, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So that's the promise that I will rest in, in this world of pain and brokenness, in a body that hurts, in a body that is 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 falling apart, right? Uh, bodies that need surgeries. Bodies that ache. Minds that forget. I mean, this is, this is where we are in this frail, weak body. But praise the Lord, we have the promise, and we know that one day we will have a body like him. We rest in that. And we keep on keeping on. We keep on taking the Advil, and we keep on walking another day. And we keep on being faithful to the God who called us to stand for him in this world. We keep on reaching out to people like we saw David on a Sunday when he was running for his life and, and Saul was breathing down his neck. But he got word that some city was in danger by the Philistines attacking them, and he decides to go help them in the midst of his pain and his heartache and his fear. He helps somebody else. That's what we do as believers, right? In the midst of a world where we're dying, where we're sick, where we're afraid and frightened, we still march forward and help others who are hurting, afraid, and frightened. Until what? Until the captain calls us home and transforms us and gives us this glorified body. And there's no more pain and no more weeping and no more tears and no more death. So now you see what I meant at the beginning of the sermon. Every Christian has sustained themselves by the promise of the resurrection and the eternal kingdom that is to come, the new heaven and the new earth. That's what keeps us serving and growing. As a matter of fact, those who have done the most for this world have been the most heavenly minded, by the way, in history. 
They have been the ones that had the right perspective of God's holiness and his hugeness and heaven and his promises. And they weren't afraid to give their lives for each other in this world and for others because of that promise. Look at, look at this. Let's take a little glimpse now as we kind of close this up. Take a glimpse at what Jesus' body is like. That's what these verses have all shown us. They're telling us that whatever our resurrection body is, it's going to be like Jesus. So what was that like when he rose again? We've got evidence. We've got records. John 20, verses 19 through 20. I love this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the apostles, man, after the, after the death and resurrection of Christ, it was a very scary place to be, right? I mean, you had a lot of persecution happening. There was a lot, lot of fear. These, these guys felt like they were really, everything was over. The, the, the apostles, I mean, some of them went back to go fishing. They said, hey, I'm going fishing again. I'm going back to my, my job. It didn't work. He's not, the, he's, not the, he's not going to be the Messiah. He's not going to set up his kingdom, all that kind of stuff. So they're locked in a room is what we find in John 20, 19 through 20. And they're afraid. It says this, on the evening of, the, of, the, of that first day, the first, the, the, of the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, so it's important that the Holy Spirit put that detail there. They're in a room, the doors are locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So there it is. Everything I said is all set up here in Scripture. Jesus came. Literally appeared is what it means. He's there. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. He had to say that very quickly because they were freaking out. The door is locked. They're all alone. They're fearful. And Jesus is in their midst. In the Greek, that's literally what this is saying. Jesus is in their midst. He says, peace, peace to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But there's a lot there that we got to grab. This is after his resurrection. He's got a body that they can actually see identifiers to know that that's him. His hands, his side, it was pierced. They see this and they say, that's him. Here he is. Now, and, 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 I mean, the, the, the imagination part of this is, how did he get in the room? How did he get in the room? I mean, this is, this is a resurrected body, a physical body that they could touch, and yet this body somehow got into a room that was locked. So either, I mean, again, there's two options, really, trans whatever that's called, teleportation, right, where he just teleports into that room, just boom, or literally through matter. I mean, somehow the, the molecular structure is such in a spiritual body that he just manipulated the matter and walked through the, the, the wall. Wow. I love that stuff. Now, that's just me. Hang, hang in. I know some of you are like, wow, now we've just left and gone to Sci-Fi-ville. But there's something going on there that is supernatural. And it's, not, it's not natural. It's a natural spirit body. You see, it's a natural and spiritual. And that gives us a glimpse that something's happening. It's, whatever that resurrection body is, it's more. It's not less, but it's way more <laughs> than what we have right now. And it's real. I, I, I like what we glean from Luke 24, 33, and 43 as we kind of look at this lastly here. 
because I, I think there's enough difference in, this, in our glorified bodies to where sometimes we may not be recognizable right away. That's what happened with Jesus and the two people on the road to Emmaus. I think it's interesting, and I don't understand all of this, but I just know that the body is going to be different in some ways. It's going to be the same in some ways. And that's probably good in a lot of ways <laughs> that it's different <laughs> in a lot of ways. Maybe there'll be more hair. I don't know, right? But I mean, there, maybe that won't even matter, right? Maybe it's a whole different thing as far as how God shows us beauty in the new creation. But there's some differences here in verses 33 and 43. I just want to read some of this, this narrative of the two disciples who were sadly walking home thinking they were defeated because Christ had been crucified and they felt like, oh, it's all over. The Messiah is not the Messiah down in the, the dumps. And then Jesus walks beside him. We know the story. And, and he begins to talk to them. Well, they don't recognize him right away. And he says, hey, what's the downtrodden stuff all about? And they say, well, didn't you hear Jesus? And he was a great teacher and a great prophet. And he could have been the Messiah. But then they arrested him, killed him. And he's been crucified and buried. And then Jesus began to tell them about himself from the scriptures. And as he spoke... Their heart kind of burned within them. And then as he broke bread and blessed it, they said, it's him. They saw some familiarities all of a sudden and saw that, no, this is, this is Jesus. And then he was banished from their sight. He was gone. But, but they were excited and they, because they know they literally saw him. And it says in verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, they said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. There's another one of those grand entrances where, how did he get here? Here he is. He's right among us. He stood among them. Wow. And he said to them, peace to you. He has to keep saying, calm down, peace. It's okay. Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So all of this, this, this wording paints a picture of something not normal, not natural. It's not just the natural body of Jesus. It's a spiritual and natural, but spiritual aspect. And there's something that calls them to be startled, something that calls them to think they see like a ghost. So again, there's something about how he enters these rooms that is a little mysterious to the natural body. I was talking to Glenn before the service. He was out here a little bit and he said, don't forget to mention that we'll be translucent. <laughs> I don't know. What does that mean? A little shiny, right? You remember the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was transformed in the presence of James and John, and, and his face shone brightly. And that was a glimpse of the glorified body. So, so all of these pictures, man, they're showing us some things, and it's, it's exciting to say there's something different happening when we're raised again. It goes on to say, he says, and, and now look at this. So that's the, the reason I'm dividing this verse so much and, 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 and talking about them being startled and frightened and seeing a spirit and how do you get in the room? There's a spiritual aspect to this body. But look, he says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. So again, the physical part is still here as well. Physical evidence, scars remain on this body somehow that is just 
gloriously transformed, spiritual, and yet still natural. Now, or, or still physical. Now, it says, why are you troubled? See, see the wounds, uh, uh, see, see my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see. You see that? Touch me and see. Obviously, you can't touch a ghost. So there, there it is. There's both aspects going on here. He says, for a spirit does not have fl flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still believed for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Wow. And that's one of the most encouraging things to a lot of people right there about the resurrection body is that you can eat. I'm just saying that he ate. So there's, there's the biblical, this is the biblical evidence we have. Now, if people go beyond this and say, oh, we're going to have wings or we're going to have whatever and I don't know, whatever. I'm just saying if it goes too far, we know that the Bible's not saying that. But the Bible does give us this evidence. It's very much like our natural body now, but much, much more because it's spiritual. And that spirit means that we are totally conformed and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And none of us know what it means to have this Holy Spirit totally permeating us, controlling every facet of our being. And that's, that's what we long forward. That's what we look forward to, right? Being absent from sin, absent from the presence of sin in a new heaven and a new earth. In a body now that is totally unlike anything we've ever, ever understood or conceived. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But here's the facts, folks. He has prepared them. He has prepared them and planned them from the foundation of the world. And one day we will glory in these truths, these realities. So let's keep on keeping on for the glory of God. And thanking our Savior, Jesus Christ, because of him. By the way, this glory that we're talking about, seeing us revel in the joy of our new bodies and revel in the, the presence of, of Christ and no more sin and death and anger and all those things, but now reveling in that, that joy, I think that's what Christ saw in Philippians when he said he's going to the cross let this cup pass from me. All those things were real. It was a terrible thing to think about in the flesh suffering, but yet for the joy, he says, that was set before him, he went to the cross. What is that joy? It's us, his redeemed, that he purchased on the cross and seeing the joy that we will have one day in his presence. Thank the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word tonight. Uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that you will cause us to have imaginations based on the word of God and energized by your Holy Spirit, informed by your word. And yet looking as Moses did to a city whose builder and maker was God that he couldn't see, but he knew by faith it far outshined anything in this world. So Father, that's what we pray for. And because of those kind of eyes that can see by faith into these things you've promised us, we will have the confidence and the boldness and the faith and the perseverance to keep on keeping on in this broken world. And with John, we say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.